next week, um, we're going to finish up this series that we've been doing called Resolve. And so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about conflict, kind of the uncomfortable conversation about conflict and how to deal with conflict in a good way, in a healthy way, in a godly way, and uh, the challenges that are involved in that. And it's been neat for us as a staff, we were talking about this this past week, some of the conversations that we've had with you guys, just talking about kind of the things that God's been stirring inside of some of you um, as we have this conversation of conflict, some things that maybe um, we haven't been dealing with, you know, or we've been kind of pushing down or running away from and talking about it in here with each other. Um, God's just been working inside of you. I had somebody, I think it was somebody in our grace group this past week who, uh, who made the comment. I thought this was insightful. I thought this was very true. They said, you know what? It's one thing to like talk about dealing with conflict. Man, it is really a different thing when you got to put this all into practice. And she was right. I mean, she's right. This is, it's one thing to just sit here and you guys listen to me or, let, or read what God says about dealing with conflict. And it's sort of this ethereal thought that's up here and, you know, we just don't do anything with it. It's another thing when you're in the midst of conflict to step back and go, all right, how can I deal with this in a way that God calls me to deal with this? You know, how is the way that I deal with this going to affect how people see God? positively or negatively, right? And so there's challenges with this. And sometimes, you know, particularly what uh, Pastor Jonathan talked about last week, last week, if you missed it, he talked about um, responding to conflict when we're actually the cause of conflict. And somebody comes to us and they're like, listen, what you said really hurt me or what you've been doing cuts me every time. You know, and sometimes when we're in that situation, especially we can get really discouraged you know, it can be depressing. We can, we can feel very defeated and like, man, I messed up again. You know, I screwed up again. And it's easy then to get, you know, depressed and all the stuff that comes from that and get very, very down on ourselves. And if we're not careful, we can wallow in those feelings, you know. And then we can give the enemy, we can give the devil a foothold in our life and start thinking, you know what, I'm trash. I'm not worth anything. You know, the, the, the enemy hates you. The devil hates you. He would love to use conflict that we deal with not as a way to grow us, but a way to make us feel defeated and terrible about ourselves. But the key, and we've been saying this, I think we've been saying this every week in this series, is as you're feeling all the gunk, all the junk that we feel when we actually put this stuff into practice, the key is to make sure that we invite God into all of that. Because it's scary. We can, do, we can do a lot of the things that it says in the Bible we're supposed to do in dealing with conflict. We can do the actions without God. You know, we can do the actions without ever inviting God into any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to um, let things go. I'm not going to harbor, um, uh, you know, bitterness or guilt or whatever. And we can say it, we can grit our teeth, and, and then we still got it down deep inside of us because we're not inviting the Holy Spirit in to give us healing and wholeness and actually turning these things over and working through them, allowing him to work through them inside of us. And so I challenge you, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, we're going to finish a series today, I really challenge you to think, what does it look like for me to invite God into all of this stuff that I'm feeling? We're all, we all deal with conflict. Maybe, maybe right now, some of you are in the thick of it. Like you are dealing with some intense stuff. If you're not, you will be at some point. It's part of it. Inviting God into that and trusting what he says, that we're not, we're not trash, we're his treasure. 
we're precious to him. Even when we screw up, even when we hurt other people, even when we fail time and time again, he sees the potential in us. He wants to walk with us through all of that stuff and bring us healing and wholeness if we trust him, if we invite him in. And so I want to challenge you to do that. I'm not going to take the time to um, go back over each of the weeks, kind of recap the weeks of the series, but I would challenge you, I'd encourage you, if you missed any of these, this is one of those series where it's so practical, I think it's really helpful to know where we've been each of the weeks. And so you can listen to it online, you can listen to it on the app, I'm not going to take time to go back through it. But this week, where I want to kind of land us with this, is I want to talk about the conflict that we deal with when other people have hurt us. When other people have done something, whatever it is, that cuts us, that rubs us, that hurts us, how do we respond to that sort of conflict in a way that God desires that we do? So here's what I want to do. I want to um, read some verses for us first. And so I want you to just see, I think it's six verses, of what God says in his word about like you and me dealing with conflict, particularly conflict where somebody else has hurt us. And I just want to like start there and have that get into our head. And then I want to put you in a scenario. I want to put you in a situation where you got to do the hard work of applying those verses to the situation. Make sense? So, so here's, I think it'll make sense as we go. Here's the, here's the verses. Go to that first one. A lot of these are from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19.11, it says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. And the next one. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. I think you'll see a trend in a lot of these. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And the next one. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Jumps to Ephesians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This last one, Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So you read those and you're like, okay, I, I think I'm sensing a little bit of a theme in what God is talking about. Let me put, let me put you in a situation. So let's say, um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a, a workplace. So let's say uh, you're at work or if you're a student, you, know, you can apply this to your school situation, whatever. And uh, one of your classmates or one of your coworkers um, is clearly having a bad day. We'll just say that, They're clearly having a bad day. And you notice it from the first time that they come in in the morning. Like they're just not very talkative, no smile, you know, they're quiet, seem a little bit grumpy. Like you could see immediately that they are having a bad day. And that's atypical for them. So this is a person that's your friend, right? And normally when they come in, you know, you say hello and it's cordial and you're kind of laughing and having a good time. But today was different. For whatever reason, today was different. Well, as the day goes on, it doesn't get any better. They're stressed and kind of keep getting a little bit more stressed, getting a little bit more frustrated with people, kind of short with people, right? Nothing terrible, but you know, you see them kind of roll their eyes a little bit. You see them, their impatience flaring up at times throughout the day, but you've sort of steered clear. You've observed this and you're like, mm, probably best to stay away from them, right? So throughout the day, you've managed to, to um, you know, spare yourself any of those uncomfortable interactions with them until the afternoon, right? 
in the afternoon it's about 1:30, and you know you had a big lunch and you're starting to get a little bit sleepy and you're like i need a cup of coffee right and so you get up and you go get a cup of coffee and to do it you have to walk right by their desk and you walk right by their desk to get a cup of coffee there's no no eye contact no words no conversation you just kind of get up they're doing their thing you're doing your thing you get a cup of coffee and you sit down about an hour later an hour later they get up, you notice, they get up to get a cup of coffee. You don't think anything of it until you hear the sound of their voice. And all you hear is, who drank all the coffee? Like, seriously, who goes and gets themselves a cup of coffee, pours the last of the pot, and doesn't make another pot? Who does that sort of thing? And then all of a sudden, you hear your name. And they're like, Jeff! Didn't you just get up and get a cup of coffee a few minutes ago? I saw you do it. Why would you get a cup of coffee and not make, use the last of the coffee and not make a new pot? Like, who would do that sort of thing? And then they sort of stammer away. And you're thinking, man, that was an hour ago I got up and got a cup of coffee. That wasn't like two minutes ago. I didn't drink the last of the coffee. I'm pretty sure when I poured my cup that there was plenty still in there. I'm sure other people got cups of coffee over the last hour, right? Like it wasn't me, even if it was me, which it wasn't, but even if it was me, what right do they have to embarrass me publicly like that? Like that's messed up. And you start to feel like your blood boil inside of you, right? Like why would they, why would they do that? Here's a question. How do you respond in that situation? How do, you, how do you respond in that situation? How do you think you should respond in that situation? How do, you, how do you think God wants you to respond in that situation? Like, think back of the verses, right? Go, go back to that previous slide. Think back of the verses. A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. It's to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, as you read that, you think about a little scenario, which I'll bet we've all been in different kinds of scenarios that have similar effects to us. What do you think the answer is in a situation like that? Like, how should we respond you think, you think maybe we should just overlook it? Just kind of let it go, you know? Yeah, but it's, but it's not fair. Like, they said mean things to me about me. They embarrassed me in front of everybody. I didn't do anything wrong. It's not right what they did. Yep. It's not right. You didn't do anything wrong. They shouldn't have done that. But listen, in the grand scheme of things, is it really that big a deal? Like in the, in the big picture of life, a situation like that, which if you're like me and somebody does something like that, you want to fight back a little bit, right? Or, or, or hold a little bit of a grudge. I'm not going to forgive that person until they apologize to me. There's, there's going to be something there. There's tension there, right? I, I, um, before I was at Grace, I, part of a, a job that I had was I worked with, I oversaw an extension site of a, a local extension site of a graduate school, a seminary graduate school. 
And part of my responsibility um, was we had these professors, so the, the main campus was in Chicago, and we had an extension site in Akron. And, and part of my responsibility was to um, these professors that lived in Chicago, they'd come in and they'd teach a class on the weekend. So they'd fly in on Friday morning. We would send somebody to pick them up at Cleveland Airport, bring them back down to Akron. They'd go to the hotel, and then we'd pick them up from the hotel, bring them to where we were doing classes. Like, that was, that was part of it. And so these guys were it's a really great seminar. And um, so, so part of my job was to make sure the professors got there, right? And uh, usually I assigned an intern to do it. We had a bunch of interns, and usually I had an intern do it because they were in the class and they got some time to just kind of talk with the professor, and it was really cool for everybody. And so um, I remember one weekend we had a guy come, actually I think it was a snowy weekend as I think about it, and we had a guy um, come in, and the intern that I assigned to go pick him up forgot, like just forgot completely to go. You know, and these are like very well-respected theologians. And I'm like freaking out. He calls me and like literally he's on the curb with his bag and he's like, hey, I'm waiting for the guy to come pick me up. Um, they're not here yet. And I'm like appalled by it. I am so embarrassed. I'm like, I am so, so sorry. I think they forgot, you know. And so he just gets a... Um, a cab from the airport, and he just goes right to where we were holding the classes. He was a little late. He didn't have time to go to the hotel first. He was a little late, and I'm waiting for him, and I, I just, I feel awful. He comes in. I'm like, I am so, so sorry. Would you please forgive us? And what he said, I'll never forget what he said. This is 10 plus years ago. He said, you know what, Jeff? A lot worse things happened in the world today than this. No big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard, you know? Like, I was, that was so, so good. And I think, man, how many times when we're in situations that really are no big deal, we make them into a really big deal? Like, think about your own life. Think about scenarios where somebody does something that, you know, rubs you the wrong way, or they're impolite to you, or they're rude, or they're, they're unkind, or they say something that, you know, is, is making fun of you or cutting you or whatever it is, is it really worth turning it into a big feud? Like, think, of, think about practical situations. Like, is it really worth all of the mental anguish, all of the, the mental work to turn it into a thing? Like, sometimes the best thing for us to do when somebody offends us, somebody hurts us, is to just overlook the offense. Many times, I'll tell you what this, what this guy said, has, it, it was so significant to me, and it's like a filter that I think through, like when somebody does something wrong against me, I think through that, I think, there's a lot worse things that happen in the world today than this. Is it really that big a deal? Most of the time, I'm like, nah, it's not. Let's just let it go. I should just, I should just move on. Like, think about situations like this in your life. Isn't it easy to turn it into something much bigger as opposed to stepping back and going, eh, a lot worse things happen in the world than this. Probably having a bad day, right? I, I put together some questions that have, are just helpful for me, to be honest with you. Like, and when I'm in a situation like that and I want to react and I want to respond, like, these are some good questions to ask ourselves to figure out how we're supposed to respond. Here's, a, here's the first question. Am I overly focused on myself? <laughs> when somebody does something to us, and I'm like, like, is it really more about me than it should be? 
Maybe, right? How about this one? Go to the next one. Am I too sensitive? Man, we could be really, really sensitive, can't we? One of the things we talk about on staff is we want to be people that have thick skin and soft hearts. We don't want to be overly sensitive to things, but we still want to feel. We still want to have soft hearts, right? Am I too sensitive? How about this one? Go to the next one. Am I taking things too personally? Stuff that's really not about me, am I making it about me? You know? But by the way, like with all of these things, that we had a great discussion in our grace group about this this past week. With all of these things, I think it's true. The root, like when we want to react, you know, and kind of fight back, the root of all of that is pride in us. Yeah, and like pride in self. Pride manifests itself in lots of different ways. Selfishness, you know, or I go, man, I can't believe you did that to me. I'm going to get you back for that. Or we go, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling, and so I'm just never going to talk about it again, right? But it's all sort of a pride, selfishness sort of thing. Go, go to the next one. In the big picture, is this really a big deal? In the grand scheme of life, what they said to me right there that hurt me, is it really that big a deal? Nah, most of the time, no. Go to the next one. This is a good one. What else is going on in that person's life that caused them to act this way? You remember the scenario, this person came in in a bad mood, right? Like there was probably something going on in their life that had nothing to do with me. And if I would just slow down and put myself in their shoes, man, maybe it would really change the way I react. Let me give you one more. It's so important we give it its own slide. Here you go. What damage or help to the gospel am I doing and how I I deal with this offense? I mean, if, if just this one, we'd step back and go, before I act, before I react to what they did, what if I just stepped back and thought, what sort of damage or help am I going to do to the gospel, to how people see Jesus, right, by how I respond to this? If I do this, how's that going to affect the gospel in their life? If I do this, how's it going to affect the gospel in their life? It's amazing. Like, when we are gracious people, it's, it, like, that is so countercultural, especially these days, you know, all this garbage going on in politics and the fighting and the, and the backstabbing and like there's so much like anger and discord and when somebody is genuinely gracious and merciful and forgiving it sticks out to people it's, it speaks to people you know like if we would just overlook some of this stuff imagine how that would help people uh, receive the gospel receive who jesus is so Sandy would say in that, um, so we've been talking about this book called The Peacemaker. I left my copy in my office. This book called The Peacemaker, written by a guy named Ken Sandy. He would say in his book, and, I, and this, is, this has been really a helpful thing for me, he would say that most of the issues, most of the conflicts that we find ourselves in are minor and should be overlooked. And I, and I say that, I wish we had like a chance to dialogue about that because I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, your reaction to that. Because I've thought a lot about that, and, and I've read that a long time ago and kind of lived my life since then, and I actually really agree with that. I think most of the things that, that we like, feel as conflict we, and that maybe we make into a bigger deal, we shouldn't. Really, in the grand scheme of things, they're minor. They're small, and we should simply overlook them. So he says this. He says, overlooking is not a passive process in which you simply remain silent for the moment but file away the offense for later use against someone. That's actually a form of denial. If you're here for the first week, we talked about kind of the natural responses to conflict. We talked about escape responses and attack responses. And one of the escape responses is denial. We just deny that anything happened, right? And so he says that's actually a form of denial that can easily 
lead to brooding over the offense, building up internal bitterness and resentment that will eventually explode in anger. Instead, overlooking is an active process that's inspired by God's mercy through the gospel. To truly overlook an offense means to deliberately decide not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. So it's not an escape response. It's not like we're just denying that something ever really happened, but sort of letting it build up and build up and build up, keeping a record of wrongs, right, until one day we explode on it. That's not what this is. That's not what overlooking an offense is. It's, it's immediately choosing to forgive and not dwell on it anymore. I, I choose to extend grace and I let it go. You know what it reminds me of in the Bible? Um, there's, there's a story in Genesis. If you haven't read it in a while, or maybe you've never read it, you, it, it would be, I would encourage you to read it. It's in Genesis 37 is where it starts. It's about a guy named Joseph, right? Joseph, so it's 37, I think, to 48. And Joseph, I mean, it's a, so it's a bunch of chapters. His story is a long story, but it is a fascinating story of just this idea of somebody who experienced great offense, like people, his brothers actually offended him in deep, deep ways, and he overlooked it. So the story is he's got, so Joseph's one of 11, I think, at the time. Uh, Later he has another younger brother, but his 10 older brothers, so he's the youngest at the time, his 10 older brothers don't like him. He kind of said some stupid things, and they're like, man, let's get rid of this guy. And so literally they sell him into slavery, right? And then they go and they tell their dad that he was killed. They tell their dad that he was eaten by a wild animal and he was killed, right? And so, they, so like atrocious things that the brothers do to him. And yet through all of that, God was with Joseph. And so Joseph had to go through some really terrible stuff, you know, um, uh, betrayal, slavery. He lived as a slave for many years. He was imprisoned. He had a time in prison. Lies told about him. Well, eventually God takes him. So he's a slave in Egypt. God takes him from being a slave in Egypt to, uh, from prison as well to be the second most important person in the entire kingdom, right? So just below Pharaoh, you have Joseph. And what Joseph ends up doing is he saves the entire nation from starvation. So this is a big famine that, that's like wreaking havoc on that entire land. And uh, Joseph is wise and, and he plans for it and, then, and he saves the entire nation. Well, eventually, um, the, when the famine reaches Joseph's brothers, back where his, where his family was, his brothers came to Egypt to buy food because it was the only place to buy food, right? And when they get there, so, so Joseph is the guy who decides who gets food, right? And so the, literally, they come into Joseph, and immediately Joseph recognizes them. And all of that pain and heartache and betrayal, all of those emotions immediately flow up inside of him. And he's overcome. He, he, he starts weeping. He has to excuse himself. He starts weeping. He recognizes them immediately. They don't recognize him, right? And so to make a long story short, Joseph ends up forgiving his brothers. For as, as great as their offense was against him, he overlooked the offense and he reconciled to them. And it's interesting when you read the story, what Joseph says, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, right? Like he saw God's hand and all that stuff. And I read that story, I think about that story, and, and you know, I think about what that professor said, to be honest with you. And it, again, it's like a filter for me where I'm like, things happen to me, I can step back and go, eh, how big of a deal is this, right? Like it, there's worse things that happen in the world today than this. Probably I should just let this go. 
right? Like it just, it, it, it gives me perspective to look at where I go, man, if it's, it's not, I should just, I should move on, right? And it's amazing how liberating that is. You know, like holding bitterness and anger against somebody. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. It's like a prison. I mean, it binds us. And when you can let it go, if we, if we look at our lives and we go, you know what? The majority of things that I deal with that like are conflict that come my way, I can just let it go. I can overlook it. I can immediately choose to forgive. Like when we do that, life is so much better. It's so much better. And all of that like mental you know, work that it takes to be angry and go over things in our head and not sleep at night and struggle with all this stuff. You don't have to deal with it anymore. It's a, it's a much better life, right? So Sandy would say, man, the majority of things that we, that we deal with, we should just overlook them. However, that being said, not everything should be overlooked, right? Like some of the things are major. Some of the things that happen to us are egregious, and it's not right for us to simply overlook the offense and offer grace and like move on. Some things really do need to be dealt with. And so uh, Sandy goes on in that quote that I read you earlier. He goes on, he says, if you cannot let go of the offense in this way, overlooking it, if it's too serious to overlook, or if it continues as a pattern, as part of a pattern in the, per of the other person's life, then you'll need to go and talk to the other person about it in a loving and constructive manner. Guys, listen, let's be honest here. Some of the things that happen to us in this life are major. You know, some of the things that happen to us in this life are, are significant. Maybe most of them we can let go, but some of them it's not right to let go. Some of the things that happen are heinous, right? Like when, when, when you know, a spouse cheats on you with, with your best friend, how do, how do you just let that go? When a spouse d uh, abandons you and wants to divorce you, when a drunk driver kills somebody that you love, when, when somebody that you love is murdered because of a drug deal gone bad or because they want the shoes that they're wearing, right? Like how, how do, when somebody uh, abuses you mentally, physically, sexually, like how do you just overlook that? You don't, it's not right, it's not proper. And even less extreme things that are painful nonetheless, like when a person continually you know, tears you down and makes you feel worthless by the things that they say or the things that, you, they do, that, the things that they do, like it's not right to just overlook that. We need to deal with it. So the question is, how do we deal with those things? Maybe the question is, how does, what does God say and how we should deal with those things? Well, if you're somebody who's uh, you know, read the Bible for a while and maybe... Um, thought about conflict in a, in a biblical sort of way. There's a passage that maybe you were expecting that we would get to at some point in this series. One of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 18 is this sort of concept. Like, how do we deal with conflict when it's too big to overlook? How do we deal with it in the right way? What is the right way to deal with it? And so it's in Matthew 18, and specifically, I want to tell you, specifically what Jesus is talking about is how to deal with conflict between two Christians. So you'll see he uses the word brother and sister. So when two Christians are having conflict with, with one another, two church folks, how are we supposed to deal with that, right? And so I want to talk, I want to read this. And then I, want, I, I think what he gives us is actually a broader pattern that's applicable not just to church folks, but actually just our other relationships in the world too. So I want to look at this. This is what Jesus says. This is Matthew 18, uh, verse 15. 
He says, if your brother or sister sins, um, some of your translations might say sins against you. It says sins against you in my Bible. Um, It's not just talking about somebody that sins that does wrong. It's somebody that does wrong against you, right? That's the context of what Jesus is saying here. So if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, so let's talk about this. What's, what's the pattern here? Well, first, I go by myself to talk to the person, right, about what they've done to me. And as I talk to them, there's some, there's some um, important parts of our demeanor that should be present. One, I should be honest with them, right? As I talk to them, I need to be honest with them. But I should also be gracious and humble, right? And so as I, if somebody's hurt me and I go to them with honesty, but also graciousness and humility, most times when we do that, and I tell somebody about how what they did like cut me, it really hurt me. Most times when we do that with a willingness to forgive, with the goal of restoration and reconciliation, most of the time it can be worked out just between the two of us, right? If we're willing to do that. And then it's done. It's squashed. It's over with, right? Most of the time people are reasonable. Like how many times, think in your own life, how many times have you offended somebody and hurt somebody and you didn't even realize it? I, I've done that numerous times. And then when somebody comes to me, like when you, when you did that, that really hurt me. And we go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I I didn't even know. I didn't mean to hurt you. Would you please forgive me? And it's worked out, right? Sometimes the person's not ready to acknowledge what they've done and, 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 you know, their part to reconcile. And so in that case, you go to the second step. The second step is I approach them again. This time I take one or two other brothers or sisters along with me. And so I think it works best if this is somebody that's mutually known and respected by both parties, right? And so I take somebody with me that you respect and I respect. And again, I talk to you with honesty, with grace, with humility, with a willingness to forgive, with the goal of reconciliation and restoration. And when we do this many more times, this can help bring about a resolution to the conflict. But I want to say, this is not the first step. Right? The first step is not to bring others along with me, a little team of people, and go, hey, you hurt me, and they all saw it too. That's not the first step. Why is that not the first step? First step is go by yourself, right, privately. Why do you think that's the first step? Well, that's the first step because anytime we bring other people into it, what happens? It escalates, right? It, 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 it becomes more serious, it's amplified. No longer is it just a private matter between me and somebody else that we can work through. Now other people know. And that amplifies things. And if it can be avoided, it should be. That's why Jesus says, first, go to them, just the two of you. But if it can't be avoided, if that doesn't work, he says, now bring up one or two other people. Not a group of ten, right? One or two other people with you. And many times if we do that, you know, it, it works through. People go, okay, I see it now. You're right. Thank you. 
right? But sometimes they're still not ready to acknowledge their part in it. And then we go to the third step. We tell it to the church. A leader from the church approaches them, maybe with you included, maybe not with you included. But they, they go to them to bring about a resolution. And by this point, I'll be honest with you, sometimes people listen, sometimes they don't. I've been a part of, um, I don't know, a fair number of these sorts of things. And usually when it gets to this point, when somebody's resistant, when you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, when you go to them with one or two other people, usually if you get to the point of bringing it to the church, um, in my experience, it often doesn't end well, just to be honest with you. And the saddest thing to me is that usually one or two, one or both of the parties end up just leaving. And they go, I don't have to deal with this, right? And they just leave and they move on and they go somewhere else without ever dealing with the problem, right? Without ever resolving the issue. And what happens then? They take the issue with them to the next place. And the cycle just continues and continues and continues. Guys, I challenge you, like, let's not, let's not be people who do this. It is so much more healthy. It is so much healthier and God-honoring and consistent with the beauty of the gospel when we never get to that point. Instead, when we have conflict in our lives, we step back and we go, I want to, and that's too big to overlook, right? We step back and we go, I want to be honest with this person. I want to be gracious. I want to be humble. I, I want to I be open to forgiveness, like desiring forgiveness. I want to have the goal of restoration and reconciliation. And doggone it, we're going to work through this. And if I, whether I'm the person who offended or I'm the person who's been offended, Man, if we could just have that spirit about us, can you imagine how much better, can you imagine how much more attractive Christians would be to the world? Like if we handle conflict differently, with humility, with grace. So, so Jesus is talking specifically to the church here, but I would argue this extends, this applies, this pattern that he gives us applies beyond the church. I think it applies to the world too. So, so like, you know, we'll use the work situation again. Somebody at work, they're, they're continuously tearing you down, you know, making jokes at your expense. And you're like, eventually, I can't overlook this anymore. I need to deal with this, right? What do you do? Well, go to them one-on-one -on -one first. Like, doesn't that make sense? Like, if you were the one that offended somebody, wouldn't you want somebody that you offended to just privately come to you by themselves first? I think what Jesus says is, is very accurate. That's the first step. If that doesn't work, what do you do? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just let it go because they continue to do this. And so I'm going to find somebody else that they trust and I trust. I'm going to bring them along with me. And then it's just the three of us and we work through it, right? If they still don't do it, then what do you got to do? Well, maybe I got to bring it to somebody in authority now. I got to bring it to the boss or whatever. Like, I think what Jesus tells us applies not just with the church, like church relationships, but I think it generally applies to the world as well. Now, that being said, let me say this. Sometimes the things that are done to us are so major, are, are crimes, right? That it is not appropriate as a first step that I go to them one-on-one -on because -one, that's not safe, right? That's not wise and that's not safe. If they've done something violent against me, for example, we don't go to them one-on-one -on -one first. Sometimes the appropriate first step is you go to the authorities and you report what's happened, right? Like Jesus is not saying, you know, somebody that's, that's you know, beating you up, go to them privately and say, hey, that really hurt what you did, right? That's not what he's saying. So we, gotta be, we have to use wisdom in all of that. I think what Jesus is saying here applies not just within the church, but to the world itself. 
Let, let me, before I wrap up, let me talk about um, one other thing. Let me talk about forgiveness here for a second. What, what Sandy says in that book about forgiveness, I think he's got some really, really good things to say about that. Let me say this first. Forgiveness is a choice by us, right? Like sometimes when we think about forgiveness, we think of it primarily first as a feeling. And we're like, well, you know, I don't feel like I've forgiven them or like I even want to forgive them. But it's a choice for us first that's usually followed eventually by corresponding feelings. So it's a choice. And we've already said that it's driven by the gospel, right? We said that, I think, every week of this series. Like me forgiving somebody else is driven by the depth of my understanding of how much I've been forgiven by God. When I recognize the millions and millions of times that I have offend, deeply offended God and people he loves and how he offers me forgiveness through Jesus, the more and more I get that, the more and more willing and able and even desirous I am to extend that same sort of forgiveness to other people. And so I'll say it again. The gospel is the key to real freedom and healing in my, unfor- in my unforgiveness and my bitterness. The gospel is the key to that. And so forgiveness is a choice that's driven by the gospel. And so Sandy in his book, he gives us uh, these four uh, real practical essentials. He calls them promises to forgiveness that um, I want to I read to you because I think we can, I don't know, forget these. We can think forgiveness is something else. But I think these are four critical things to us. So these are four promises of forgiveness. So, so there's scripture passages there that all of these come from. So I'll let you check those out on your own. But here's what he says. He says, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you in the future, right? I will not talk to others about this incident. And I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. When I choose to forgive somebody, driven by the gospel, right? When I invite the Holy Spirit to work inside of me to bring healing, to bring genuine forgiveness, Part of what I do, what if I said, I will not dwell on the injustice done to me. I'm going to take every thought captive, something the Bible says that we could do. I'm not a slave to my mind. Well, these thoughts just keep coming in. No, we can control our minds, right? I take every thought captive and I go, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm going to choose to let go of the pain, right? What if we said, I will not bring this incident up again and use it on you the next time that you hurt me? I've been keeping a record, right? I'm not going to keep a record. And then when you hurt me again, I'm going to go, remember back, you just did the same thing you did before. No, I'm choosing to let it go. What if we said, I choose, I will not uh, talk to other people about this. This is between you and me. I'm not going to drag your name through the mud with this. It's, It's just you and me, and I forgive you. What if we go, I will not allow this to always be sort of just there, under the surface, just waiting, a hindrance to our relationship. But we go, I choose to forgive you. I choose to let it go. Man, that, and, and by the way, forgiveness doesn't mean that what hap- we're saying um, that what happened to us is all right. So when I choose to forgive somebody, I'm not saying, ah, it's okay what you did to me. When my, when my kids fight and I make one of them say sorry, I, the other one knows they're not allowed to say that's all right. They have to say, I forgive you. Because it's not all right, right? What they did is not all right. So it's not saying when I forgive somebody, it's not saying it's all right. It's not saying the injustices done to me are just fine. It's no big deal. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, I want to be a peacemaker with you. I, I choose to be a peacemaker, which, which, by the way, is deeply pleasing to God. 
because God is a peacemaker with us, right? Let me ask you this, how, do, how is this, all of this stuff possible when the person that has offended us is not around anymore? You know, like maybe they've passed away by this point or they just won't talk to us or uh, they will not accept any responsibility in all of this. If that's the case, are we just sort of out of luck? You know, I can't, I can't forgive, I can't reconcile, I can't restore and so I'm just out of luck in this situation. Well, no, not at all. What it means, see, I can forgive without the other person acknowledging anything wrong that they've done. I can still forgive them. I, I can't reconcile with them, right? I can't restore the relationship with them, but I can forgive them. I can still choose to forgive somebody who's hurt me because I'm driven by the gospel, right? The gospel is the key. I realize how much I've been forgiven of. I'm allowing, I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to work inside of me to bring healing and forgiveness. I don't need the other person to forgive them. I don't need them to acknowledge that stuff. I can let go of the pain. I can let go of the bitterness, just me and God. Can I, can I tell you something else that's helpful in that? Like if you sit here this morning and you're like, I have... Um, you know, my, my, my daddy was terrible to me and um, we never reconciled and he's, and he's passed away now. You know, what, what am I going to do? And you're struggling to forgive and work through that. You know something that's really helpful? This. People. Each other. Relationships. Community. Biblical community. Like being with people, being honest with people that we know and love and trust and that know and love and trust us. See, I'll talk about this a little bit in the next series. You know, we're made for like relationships with people. It's too many of us try to do all of this stuff alone and we keep it all inside of us. The mental health community knows this. The world, the world knows this. Psychology knows this. That's why so much ongoing mental health training is done in a small group setting, right? Support groups. So why are support groups so big? Because it just helps. Even when I can't solve the problem or somebody won't deal with the issue, me talking about it with in, a, in a trusting, safe environment is helpful for me, right? And sometimes it's helpful to go talk to a professional as well. You go talk to a, a clinical counselor who, who has extensive training and all this stuff. There's no shame in that, by the way. Sometimes people feel like there's a stigma with that. You know, there must be really something wrong with me if I have to go talk to a psychiatrist or a counselor. That's silly. That's not true. There's no, there's no stigma with that. Sometimes it's really helpful to go talk to somebody. The point is, we're made to be in relationship and talking to each other about this stuff with honesty and realness and a safe environment is really, really helpful to us genuinely being able to offer forgiveness. So, so let me end the series this way. Um, I had somebody this week who texted me. They were kind of just processing through all this stuff that we've been talking about with conflict. And they're reading in their Bible, they're reading in the book of Psalms, and they came across Psalm 106. And they texted me, and like, you know what Psalm 106 is about? And I'm like, no, I don't. I actually don't know off the top of my head like, what that's about. It's not like one of those psalms that you memorize or anything. But it's kind of a long psalm that um, struck this person. And it was interesting, because the psalm is really about the sinfulness of Israel. <laughs> the sinfulness and the rebellion of the nation of Israel. That's really what the psalm is about. And in the midst of their sinfulness and rebellion, so they were fighting in conflict with each other and they were in conflict and rebellion with God. They were like in a constant state of conflict, right? And in the midst of all that, and you read in, in the psalm, um, two people stand up in the middle of all that and they act as peacemakers. 
It's really interesting when you read it. So, so there's a guy, uh, go ahead to the next one. There's a guy named Phineas in uh, verses 30 and 31. And so they were in such utter rebellion, godlessness, sinfulness against God that God ended up sending this plague among them that was literally killing people, right? And so Phineas eventually stood up and he intervened and the plague was checked. So this was credited, credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. And so some, in the midst of all the conflict, somebody stood up and said, I, wanna, I will be a peacemaker between the nation of Israel and God. And he pleads with God and God responds and he stops the plague. A, a little bit earlier, actually, in the psalm, there's another guy named Moses. Go to the next slide. Another guy named Moses. And this is what Mo, he says very much the same thing. He says, at Horeb, they made a calf, the nation of Israel, they made a calf and they worshiped an idol cast from metal. So literally they took a chunk of metal, they shaped they heated it up and they shaped it into the form of a calf. It was a lump of metal before, now it's a calf, and they start worshiping it. That's what they were doing, right? Even though they had seen God do miraculous, amazing things, right? So they start worshiping this calf. They exchange their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. Like you see kind of the distinction there. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them. God was going to destroy the nation, wipe them out, start over. They were so godless and rebellious, constant conflict. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach, in the gap before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. I read that, I'm like, one guy, right, who was willing, who had the courage who was willing to stand up and be a peacemaker. And look what it did. God relented. God responded to that. God honored that and blessed that. And he brought peace. And it's interesting, as you, it, when you read in the Old Testament, there was a time then when they kind of turned back to God. Eventually they turned back to their other ways. But there's a time when God used each of these two men to bring some peace and some reconciliation. And I think about our own world, and I think, man, our world needs peacemakers. We need peacemakers in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, at our workplaces, in our homes, right? Like we, need, we need people that are willing to have the courage to stand up with honesty and humility and graciousness with the goal of, be, I'm willing to forgive, that's what I desire. I have a goal of restoration and reconciliation. I'm driven by the gospel to do this. And I'm, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of this. That's, that's what our world needs. And so the question is, are you and I willing to be that kind of peacemaker? Are you and I willing to be the peacemakers that God desires us to be?